Previously on Star Wars Beyond the Films. Lots of feedback and us monologuing. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films. The official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is great disturbance in the force. That's right, listen. Welcome to episode 155 of Star Wars Beyond the Films. Your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division, at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes, Zoom, as well as Stitcher, and right on our own Facebook and Twitter pages at SW Beyond Films. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Herleman. And with me, like the three blades of a cross-saber that's awesome, the EU guru himself, the count of those two continuities, Mr. Nathan P. Butler. Also known as the three blades of a cross saber that is kinda stupid. Till we figure out how it's supposed to work, Stephen Colbert. Previously on Star Wars Beyond the Films. Lots of feedback and us monologuing. Speaking of monologuing, though, why don't you go ahead and kick us off? Because we've got something that's not us this time. True that. Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. This episode, we turn once again to you Beyonders. This week, as last week, your feedback is center stage. Now, consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and sentients of all ages, because here we go on another adventure beyond the films. And this is, by the way, also a quick chance for a quick reminder, folks. Don't forget, if you want to win the original two-disc widescreen DVD releases of all three prequel films from their original releases in 2001, 2002, and 2005, plus that bonus, the Story of Star Wars DVD that was released as a pack-in bonus feature for those buying Revenge of the Sith in 2005 at Walmart stores, you can still enter to win that all the way up until March 15th, the Ides of March, by emailing us at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com, putting DVD giveaway in the subject line, and putting your mailing address, in case you win, inside the body of the email. Good luck! Well, we start out this time with something you might be more familiar with from some of my previous podcasts, or from Republic Forces Radio Network, as we move into... Uh, Rebels Roundtable and all, and that is feedback that's not read as an email. Folks, you can send feedback as audio files. Uh, it's easier with something like RFRN when there's a dedicated voicemail type line, but you tend to have people sort of ramble on at times when you do something like that. But you can always produce your own audio file. Uh, WAV file, preferably an MP3, it'll be smaller to download, smaller to get to us. And send us your feedback that way if you have the ability to do an audio recording, or heck, do a video recording like through you know, iMovie or something like that, and we can strip the audio out and put it into the episode if you know, that's the only way that you can record. 
But we have our first in quite a while of actual audio feedback here coming in from Alexander K. from, I believe it was Germany, right? That is correct. All right. So without us having to read it this time around, which is nice, us not monologuing, sort of a monologue on Alexander's part. Here's what Alexander had to say. Hushuda Mark and Nathan. I'm Alexander K. from Germany. I don't name the city. It's so small you won't know it anyway. I stumbled upon your podcast via the first German podcast and then crawling through their recommendations. I was never that much into podcasting, but after learning there's an EU-specific podcast and even better one with Nathan P. Butler himself in it, although long-time timeline fan, in fact I somehow wasn't aware you were doing that much podcasting, I was hooked on. I immediately bought the Pocket Cast podcast app only to learn that you are available there only from episode 96, one, uh, 96 onwards. Anyway. I downloaded all the earlier episodes and managed to rush through up until um, episode uh, 58 so far in roughly two months, hearing it all the time on my bike, on my way to work or back home, doing household chores or chores or during data analysis um, as I am a scientist. Now I decided to make use of the voicemail feedback possibility, even though it's so old stuff. I simply have to put in my two cents worth, but since in circa 60 episodes so much was covered, I'm going to cherry pick. Nevertheless, consider this your warning, since this is going to be way too long. If it's ever going to be aired, even though this might mean uh, me hearing it in earliest half a year or so, please feel free to make use of the pause button to comment on directly in between. But enough about how I got here, let's get started with paying homage to both of you. Mark, you definitely deserve the title of Defender of the EU, because your level of enthusiasm is by far unparalleled. And I love it. I'm similar in several respects, for example freaking out about clever connections from book to book. And Nathan, what would the galaxy far far away do without for example your timeline? For me being a diehard EU fan, although at some point I got lagging behind in reading due to my job being so time consuming, following for several years by now reading your timeline is like air breathing. I even decided at one point to read it chronologically from A to Z, especially since I can't afford to read each and every publication due to my time restrictions. By now I caught up to episode 5. Anyway, I remember you, Nathan, mentioning in the foreword of the last or second to last edition some douchebaggers. I officially apologize for that, because I think I was one of them. Years ago, I don't know exactly, maybe 5 to 6 or so, I sent several emails with uh, some corrections for the timeline. And in retrospective, these um, I think were a bit pushy. Sorry for that. But let's come to real topics. One of the first ones that made me ponder was the episode on personal canon. Honestly, I didn't hear this term before, but basically it's fitting perfectly with what I'm doing with some aspects of Star Wars and the EU anyway. Best example in my case is The Clone Wars. I know Nathan, you are loving it, but for me it was always at best yeah. In part it was due to the fact that I absolutely loved this, that so well thought out multimedia approach they developed originally and that it was overwritten. Especially what they did to Quinlan Wars, my favorite EU character of all time, let my heart bleed. But even putting aside these concerns, it never really appealed to me that much. Another thing I stumbled upon was in your discussion about zombies. You complained about not having the exact explanation for becoming zombies in the Joe Schreiber novels. This somehow reminded me of the whole midichlorian discussion and having the force demystify it or not. Cause regarding that, a majority of fans seems nowadays to tend to reject the midichlorian warfare. I can't remember a talk from your Darth Plagueis review whether you stated your opinion, but if not, what would you say regarding this comparison? 
From the standpoint of reuse, some of them led me to revisit stuff I already read or visit um, something at all for the first time. For example, I've read the Lost Tribe or the Sith ebooks when they were published, so essentially disconnected. But now, after uh, your review, I'm definitely eager to read it as a whole, including Spiral, um, regardless of your review. And actually, that would be the first Star Wars book I would have reread, again due to my time restrictions. Another thing were your X-Wing reviews. After having read first the fifth novel, so the first Wraith Squadron, then the fourth, and then the third, don't ask me why I did it in this order, it was in the beginning of my EU fandom. Thus spoiling the whole Corrin Horn plot before even knowing there is a plot at all, I stopped reading them. But now I think I'm going to read the comics and the novels in a row. What else? Maybe an interesting notion to Nathan. Dark Times is selling very well in Germany. Here publication of the Dark Horse Star Wars comics happens either in a magazine, collecting each time two single issues, such as the Darth Vader and stories, Agent of the Empire or the Notorious Dark Times, plus editorial stuff, or directly in trade paperbacks, such as Legacy, KOTOR or Dawn of the Jedi. Only rarely, that means normally only if rather successful, stories are reprinted as a trade paperback, such as, guess what? Exactly, Dark Times. One last thing that spontaneously pops up in my mind is the discussion about Mandalorian Nights. I wonder why they are regarded so negatively by some fans. Heck, the galaxy is humongous, so why shouldn't it be able to also follow such a way of life? And I wanted to draw comparisons with the Imperial Knights. Cause there I have the impression that they are looked at much more as something new and fresh and connoted much more positively. Or is simply my impression wrong? With that I want to conclude and first of all ap apologize for this terribly long voicemail. Second, I want to encourage you to go on with this fantastic show. And next time you hear from me will be definitely about the Disney deal, which I spared these, uh, this time, and all its uh, whole consequences and new developments, like Rebels, which I already kinda attached to much more with the first episodes than with the whole The Clone Wars series. Until then, may the Force be with you always. Well, first off, I'm glad that you've had a chance to get into the, the podcast catching up and such. If you really want a lot to catch up on, uh, if you go over to StarWarsFanWorks.com, which... Right now, it's slated to undergo kind of another gutting. It's going to stop being a site that's sort of a hub for a lot of different fan audio because, quite frankly, there's so many podcasts out there that it's impossible to keep up with them anymore. There's hundreds of them not listed that it's going to sort of get pared down into one that's just the shows that we host actively as far as hosting the files or stuff that I've done. So if you're looking for some of the older stuff uh, beyond this show, uh, Andrew Lupi and I did the EU review for a while. I did Chrono Radio back in the day, probably the, the, the earliest single host Star Wars podcast that there was out there as far as we can tell. Um, then I've done other stuff in between. So those are out there if you're curious about the really, really old stuff. But of course, that would be, you know, kind of like going into a time capsule, I guess, because the first episodes of those would be back in, gosh, 2002-ish, give or take. Um, I think on the whole personal canon thing, uh, again, it just depends on the person's perspective. It's not a matter of, to me, whether or not personal canon decides what you like or what you want to partake of as a consumer. That's fine. It's just when personal canon starts to be something that someone uses as part of the discussion on Star Wars and they look at their way of viewing it as the only way to view it. Like, if your personal canon 
is I believe that Dark Empire took place, but I don't want to believe Dark Empire 2 or Empire's End took place. And then you get into a discussion with someone about the resurrected Emperor Palpatine in that era. If you try to stick to your personal canon view of just the one series existing and not all three of them, it's an intellectually dishonest discussion that you're engaged in because you won't be able to come to any type of common ground for discussion because one of you is going to be saying all three exist, the other is going to say no, it's one, and we know that from a Lucasfilm Legends continuity standpoint, it is all three. Um, personal canon, I guess it's just the fact that the name implies that it's drawing lines for discussion outside the person's mind because you would think that if it's just something someone's thinking for themselves, Maybe you just call it the person's preference, but personal canon makes it sound like something they're going to use outside of their own brain, and that's when the discussion starts to get messy. Um, I would agree that Rebels has tended to add more or feel like it's more Star Wars than Clone Wars, and I think part of the good response to it has been, honestly, that even if you were to put it in the Legends continuity, which it isn't, even if you were... It hasn't been contradicting stuff left and right. It hasn't been crashing through stuff left and right the way that the Clone Wars cartoon series did. I'm not big on the entire Clone Wars cartoon series. First two seasons, two and a half seasons were pretty meh. But it did tend to get better. But its continuity effect, you know, it's, I think what kept me sane was being able to think, hey, there's this original version of it, there's the television version of it, and keep them sort of separate in my mind until we know how it is supposed to fit together. That's why my Star Wars Timeline Gold's got the Timelines uh, Clone Wars supplement that has two different timelines of the Clone Wars, the original versus the one that started being developed around 2008. But now that we aren't going to get an answer of how those are meant to mesh together in the Legends continuity, uh, the, the eyesore that is that mess becomes clearer and clearer. It becomes more prominent again, because at least before we could sit back and say there are answers coming. Now there seem not to be, and there are no plans to do so anytime in the near future, apparently. Um, as to the whole issue of trying to explain the zombies versus trying to explain the Force and whatnot, I think it's... It, the zombies were never meant to be like a metaphysical type of thing, like, ooh, they're zombies, it's a spiritual thing, there's a dark force animating them and such. Zombie stories these days... You know, not in the earliest, earliest movies, like the early Romero stuff. But, I mean, if we're talking about modern zombie stories, there tends to always be an explanation of why there are zombies. It's the T-virus, uh, for instance, in uh, Resident Evil stuff. Um, in this case, we don't really had, or we didn't have much of an answer. We got the, uh, the Murakami Orchid coming out later that helped to develop the concept. Um... But it's it's one of those things that I think these days audiences expect to have an answer to. Where did this come from? If you see a character who's basically a clone, where did this clone come from? If you see a zombie, where did this zombie virus or whatever it is come from, etc., etc.? The Force was different. The Force was something that started out being accepted as a metaphysical thing. I don't actually think there were a lot of people back in the day sitting back saying, where does the Force come from? They took the Force for granted as a spiritual thing, uh, like the Tao, or Yahweh, or Allah, you know, or, uh, you know, Brahma, Shiva, Vishnu. They looked at it as something that was spiritual and by its very nature wouldn't have a scientific explanation. And then we got a scientific explanation for at least part of it with the midichlorians, and now we get this whole midichlorians 
come from the place that's the planet that birthed life and midichlorians connect with the, the living force and that's how we connect with the rest of the force and all this kind of stuff out of the Clone Wars. Um, I think what rubs people the wrong way with the midichlorians was that it was giving a scientific explanation to something that was meant inherently to not be a scientific concept. Lucas talked about it being something that was meant to be a generalized form of spirituality that could touch all kinds of different cultures because of that common background. You start trying to distill that down into scientific terms, and it takes away some of what he seemed to be trying to do originally when creating the concept of the Force in the first place, and wound up being something story-wise that in many ways they seem to have dropped. I'd have to wonder if Lucas saw the criticism of the midichlorians from Phantom Menace and changed his plans of what he wanted to do with the midichlorians going into episodes two and three. Because it seems like an odd thing to drop into episode one that has very little story impact other than, hey, let's test Anakin's blood, for it to have been dropped in there and fundamentally change our view of the Force without there having been a plan to do something else with it. And yet, episode two, episode three, mostly not dealing with midichlorian stuff. The Force starts to become more of a spiritual-sounding thing, even in the Clone Wars, a more spiritual-sounding thing. I think that's the big difference. There are some things we expect scientific answers for, some things we don't. And the Force was one we didn't, Zombies is one we did. So it's kind of an apples-oranges type of thing. Oh, Alexander, I want to just say, you know, congratulations on blazing through the show. And, you know, you mentioned using Nate's timeline to help you through, you know, the saga of Legends. And I got to admit, I did the same thing a few times myself. Uh, You know, when I first got online and realized that there was somebody out there that was chronicling all this stuff that had such a vast library. You know, I I remember I don't even remember what version it is. I know I still have it on my first hard drive, though. Uh, And I remember being like panicked when I tried to print it out. <laughs> I had to cancel that halfway through once I realized that I was out of paper. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, that was something I was turning to. And then eventually I ended up getting the, the chronology books and stuff and doing the same thing. I mean, uh, being able to kind of get an overview of everything that was going on without the finer details just made me that much more ravenous to get the actual books and find out what happened in the books. You know, knowing the plots of each one and stuff like that was awesome. But not having those finer details still left me craving more. So that was a really cool thing to have. Uh, and, and, you know, thanks a lot on the uh, comment about Defender of the EU. Often I think about just dumping the title anymore because it seems like there's this big, you know, faux pas with even being an EU fan and even mentioning EU anymore. You got to call it Legends now at all times. Uh, you've mentioned also the ties that bind kind of thing, those aspects of the stories that interlace. That has always been one of my favorite things. You know, I've, I've, I love it when it's done right. Uh, and I love it when, you know, that are open holes and plots and stuff that they would take later, you know, a different writer, you know, somebody that had read that first original work and they really enjoyed it. And they, they noticed that that plot was left wide open and they took it and, and wrapped it up. Uh, Hondo Carr being one that I keep bringing up, you know, with legacy uh, and how, you know, he goes off, he's looking for the Mandalore and stuff. It was just never completed. It would be cool to see something like that, you know, but they do do situations like that where, where characters that weren't meant to be were picked up and ran with uh, center point station being one in the new Jedi order. I love the fact that that came back finally. And I was like, yes, resolution. Uh, you know, the subject of personal canon, you know, I, I've said before, you know, most fans, they have little choice at this point, but to adopt a personal canon, uh, to personally customize, fit everything that's out there. You know, there's so many things that work and don't work aspects that we as fans that we like and dislike, uh, that in that aspect, I get it. Um, but, and I, and I want to point out, I think, you know, with, with Nathan and, and this term, 
I think a lot of that is Nate and I come from an age with the official site, uh, StarWars.com, before one of the first reboots and stuff, when they had a forum. You know, and personal canon back then would be used to create so much havoc in these debates that would quickly escalate into arguments and stuff. And at the end of it all, you'd find out that one person was using personal canon. Oh, I don't count that. It's like, well, you have to. You're over here talking about the EU. You can't just custom pick what you want on discussing what did or didn't happen. So, so there's that aspect where we come from, you know, that intellectual honesty aspect that Nathan's talking about. But I, I do truly think for a fandom with a, a product as big as Star Wars, that there is that aspect of you have to have your own personal canon and your personal canon grows with your brain. You know, you start out, you have just the one or two books. That's all your canon has. You only have those two. And as you hunt and read and discover more about it, you know, your your brain absorbs it and that becomes your personal canon. You know, what what aspects you really enjoyed and the stories that you really, you hated them so much you just wish they didn't exist and therefore you just deny them in your brain. Uh, so I, I get that as well. Uh, the zombies, I always thought, you know, the zombies were, were really interesting. I, I think it was a nice angle to keep a lot of it mysterious. Uh, you know, anytime you use the force in the process, I think that that allows for that. Also, at the same time, though, the end of Death Troopers, they also kind of kept it mysterious in the aspect that, you know, the main two characters, the two people that were going to get us through the story, you know, and I, and I, I know me and Nathan, we, we diss on that about, you know, it kind of took a lot of the, the, the thrill out of it because you knew Han and Chewie were there. But like I said before, there's a lifeline, you know, you knew they were going to get you through it. But at the end, what's this? They have no ship and they left it wide open. It was still a mystery and there was no resolution to that. So it was kind of interesting how in that regard, you know, it didn't even have to even be with the force to have some mysteries that don't necessarily need to be explained again, though it gets that aspect, which we'll discuss next year about the open plot points that they could tell more stories. Uh, which gets to rereads. You know, I, I truly enjoy a book or a comic more on the second and third read through. Although time anymore, just to read through once is rough, which audible.com slash Star Wars report. You know, just saying. Uh, Koran plot, you, you mentioned having that spoiled for you, which I got to say, ouch. You know, Koran's one of my favorite characters. I think you should give it another go. Uh, Koran's a fun character. I think so, but there are a lot of people out there that are polar opposite. He's one of those you're either going to love or hate. So knowing that you've been spoiled by it, if you can go back into it and go again and continue on all the way up into uh, Fate of the Jedi and Legacy of the Force, those books and stuff, I, I enjoyed Koran's story for the most part. Uh, a lot of ways I've related to him in a lot of different directions and stuff in my life and the choices he's made. Uh, you know, I've found some, some tones of myself in the character that I've enjoyed a lot. The Mandalorian Knights... I too enjoy the idea of Mandos that were Jedi or Jedi that are Mandos. Uh, and there are some comparisons that, that you mentioned about the Imperial Knights. You know, it, it brings up this thing to me though. It's a shame we never saw how the Imperial Knights were founded though. I've, I was always curious about them as a functioning entity. And I was always curious as to the founding of, you know, the, the, the main mission statement therein, which was one of the things I liked about the Mandalorian Knights because, because you got around what Demigol was doing and stuff. And I don't know, for me, I found it refreshing. I know Nate, I know it drove you up a wall, uh, but uh, it, it is what it is. And we, it's such a big fandom. We all have different you know, ways of looking at it and interpreting it. And I don't know, for me, I was, I was with you, Alexander. I really enjoyed it. Uh, Rebels though. I, I think one of the main things that most of us are enjoying, and I think Rebels is really benefiting from is that we don't have what we have with the Clone Wars where everybody's pondering what in the hell is going on with this show because of it, it's bouncing around. I mean, you know, Nathan mentioned the first couple seasons, but I thought it was interesting that when you look at the chronological airing of the episodes, 
the first episode is like, I think it's season three, episode one or season three, episode two. And it's funny, though, because most people mentioned that it wasn't until about the third season that the show really started to get good. And what happened at that time? They said, oh, you know, we have been placing them out of order and we promise we're going to stop doing it. So I, I truly think a large chunk of Rebels is that, you know, that, you know, most people say, oh, it felt like Star Wars. But when I go back and I think about what the Clone Wars was, it too felt like Star Wars. It felt very much like the prequels, which I think that that's what most people are forgetting at times is, you know, Star Wars isn't just the original trilogy or isn't just the prequels. It's about eras. and it's it's cool to have shows that represent each era because our fandom is so big and we do like so many things. And it is nice that with Rebels that so many fans of both these eras are able to see it as a show that they're able to enjoy. The next one comes in from Dominic Nardi, who says, Hi, Mark and Nathan. Hope you're doing well. I enjoyed listening to your Dark Horse retrospective. I had an odd relationship with Dark Horse's Star Wars line. During the 90s, before the internet, getting comics was quite hard if you didn't have a comic store near your house. I managed to get a few of the big ones, like Dark Empire and Tales of the Jedi. They were some of my fondest, earliest EU memories, but I completely missed the rest of Dark Horse's offerings at the time. It was only about five years ago that I discovered Dark Horse Digital and went back to read some of the best from the 2000s. I'm glad I did. KOTOR is still probably one of my favorite Star Wars stories ever. I know many people like the series, but I think it's worth exploring why it's so successful. For my part, I think that it recaptures two key aspects of the original trilogy that few other Star Wars stories have gotten right. First, it manages to balance humor and epic adventure perfectly. The humor in the original trilogy was witty, based on snappy banter between the characters, unlike the prequels which relied more on slapstick. Even throughout the darkest parts of KOTOR, Zane and Griff are absolutely hilarious, some real laugh-out-loud moments. That said, the other thing KOTOR gets right is that it doesn't simply rehash relationships in the original trilogy. Too many Star Wars stories try to replicate the group camaraderie in the original trilogy by mimicking it directly. How many stories include a roguish smuggler because Han Solo was a smuggler? KOTOR managed to find a fresh group dynamic. Zane is a bumbling Jedi, something we don't see very often in the EU. Griff is a con artist, somebody who really comes across as weaselly. Jeriel is a refugee on the run, but also had a bit of a warrior spirit. Speaking of comics, one thing I'd love to see Marvel do is adapt Lucino's Darth Plagueis into comic form. Lucino already started to integrate some parts of the novel into the new continuity in his Tarkin novel, so I think most of Darth Plagueis could actually move successfully into canon. At the same time, there are some things in the novel that might conflict, or at least refer to events that are no longer canon, like the Battle of Baldemic. So retelling the story in comic form would allow the story group to keep the core of the story in canon, but remove any conflicting bits. Also, it'd be a good way for Marvel to extend an olive branch to older EU fans. Anyways, I'd love to hear what you think, especially about a comic adaptation of Plagueis. Thanks, Dom. Well, Dominic, you know, when it comes to the comic stores, I feel you on that one. Uh, in the 90s, my comic shop was doing really good. But the late 90s, with all the variants and all the chaos and stuff, everybody seemed to step back at the same time. And, you know, my friend Jeff, he took a hit. He had to close down the shop. And we didn't have a comic store. And that was kind of when I stopped following all the Spider-Man and all that. That was I, I wasn't into Star Wars comics back then. I was into Spider-Man big. And then when a new store had opened up, I, I didn't go there. I think they were open for a year and a half. And then they had another year and a half after. They were open for three years. So I, I was there for the last year and a half of their life. And that was when KOTOR was going. And I I remember trying to get on. But that shop, uh, it was really poorly ran. And all these comics were slipping through my fingers. And, it, and I was 
only getting KOTOR at the time. Uh, I was afraid to kind of dabble into anything else. You know, I mean, most of it, it, it had that, those weird covers with the, the words and stuff on them at the time. And while it was working somewhat for KOTOR, because I was able to, to really enjoy the story because of the game KOTOR, uh, the other ones like uh, Rebellion and, and Empire and stuff, I was like, whoa, I don't know about this stuff. Uh, I was judging it by its cover. But later, Jeff was able to bring back Iguana Comics. This is my current comic store. And they were the other store, it went out of business. And Jeff came back, filled that niche again. And the store's been doing really well. Uh, so I've been able to go down there and thrive at it and stuff. But I do remember that that period, those two periods uh, between comic stores and then having, you know, the one comic store that just was never able to get it together and the frustrations they're in. But granted, at that time, the Internet wasn't as prevalent as it is now. So there is that aspect where at least you could go online, you know, do some eBay, some Amazon, look around, find a good deal and, and get the stuff shipped to you uh, after the fact. But. That hunt was always hard. I mean, now there's still that aspect of, you know, make sure you get this ordered for me because if you don't get it ordered and they don't print anymore and it all sells out, then you're just hosed and you've got that missing one, which again, when we, we discuss the different formats and stuff, we'll, we'll focus more on that. Uh, but, you know, KOTOR, you mentioned the fact that, that they stayed away from uh, the mimicry of the films. Uh, and I like the fact that they left that out for most of the plot points. It was it was very refreshing. It made it feel new. It was a, it was a really fun story for a lot of ways. But that was one that that I had noticed too. But it was never as prevalent as you know when you're sitting there watching like say uh, the tour MMO games. You know you see a lot of the the character classes and stuff which feel like the, the one smuggler uh, cowboy guy very much feels like Han Solo at times and things like that. So it's weird when you see the different marketing techniques and stuff and and. I do like it when they kind of step away from the things that they know that works and kind of step out on a branch and see if it'll work again, even though sometimes it doesn't always work, like with Dark Times or with uh, Invasion, you know, things of that nature. I'm sorry, Randy Stradley, that's never going to be satisfactory here as a conclusion. Uh, but lastly, adaptations. I admit I would love for adaptations of legend stories as canon. I think we need to do it as comics, you know, uh, make make it say, okay, this comic is going to be canon, and yes, we're using plot elements from legends, but this is it as canon. You know, you could draw from the books, you could draw from the comics, and even the games. And, you know, those elements, like like we were talking in last episode, about how, you know, there's all this backstory that Legends has that, that are gone, that we don't know, you know, are these coming over? These would be the angles that you could bring that over and be like, yes, okay, so that still happened, or this element of that happened, you know, uh, adapt Darth Plagueis, you know, those angles. But I think they need to do it as comic versus doing it as novels. Uh, you know, don't redo a novel, but do a comic adaptation of that novel as canon. I think that would be a really cool twist. Yeah, I think KOTOR's, its success very much was based on that idea that it's, Using the universe. We talked about this when we talked about Dark Horse doing things right and how a lot of times what they did well was they built new entire eras. They did a lot of world building. And in that sense, KOTOR was world building within a universe that had pre-existing rules. You know, lightsabers, the Force, and all that. But in doing so, they were telling a story that simply was in the Star Wars universe. Could have its own character beats, its own character development, its own character archetypes. Whereas... A lot of Star Wars storytellers tend to try to tell stories that feel familiar, not because of the universe or the fun, but because of the character archetypes, as you were saying, Dom. Um, for instance, you know, it's, it's the same thing or similar to what we saw happen sometimes with Clone Wars. 
and similar to things that we wound up seeing in a lot of the early Star Wars novels like Timothy Zahn's Heir to the Empire. As well thought of as that book is, now looking back and reading it, recognizing there is five years worth of stories between Return of the Jedi and that in the Legends continuity, it seems pretty weird for them to constantly, every few pages seems like, be referencing things that happened back in the classic trilogy. I mean, I don't know about you, but I certainly, any time that I'm hanging out with my friends, I'm always referencing things that, you know, happened five or six years ago, and of course I'm always referencing them word for word because that's just the way people work, right? Right? <laughs> no? No, it's not? Um, well, you don't remember in our very first issue of Star Wars Beyond the Films when we talked just like this? It's just, it's weird. It's like... They have to beat us over the head with that, see, we've seen the films too, see, we're Star Wars fans too, and we're like, yeah, we get it, okay, you don't need to slap us with those references, and I think actually that was something interesting, StarWars.com did a weird retrospective a while back that didn't get a lot of, of fanfare, but it was like a retrospective about reviews of some of the early books, and they did a look at some of the early reviews of Heir to the Empire, and that's one of the things that they were that the reviewers found frustrating every single time. It seemed like it was, okay, we get it. We've seen the films too. Is there really supposed to be a big gap of time between these? Because it sure doesn't seem like it the way you're acting. Um, it's the same thing when it comes to the archetypes. It's the, we want to show that this is Star Wars, and the way to do that is either use the universe, use the characters, use the archetypes, or beat us over the head with references or some combination between them. And it's when it, the universe is being used to tell those fresh stories without necessarily always the same characters, the same references being made, the same archetypes being used, it feels the most fresh. Um, that's why things like KOTOR and Legacy Volume 1 stand out so well, I think. As for an adaptation of Plagueis... I think that'd be cool. I think it'd be neat if they had stuff within Legends they wanted to bring over, if they would, instead of just saying, this is brought over now, that they would instead do some type of adaptation to bring it over where they could tweak what's in it, what's not. Kind of like when the comic adaptation of A New Hope had been around for so long that there was so much in it we knew wasn't accurate, like Mosep, basically, or the Nimbanel being Jabba, that they went through and actually had a new adaptation of A New Hope made back in the late 90s uh, in comic form so that we had something that was more accurate. Uh, I don't think they're going to do it. I think they're going to stay away from trying to do adaptations in comic form of previously existing stories the same way they stayed away from it originally where, I mean, there was, what, there was Splinter of the Mind's Eye, there was Han Solo at Star's End, there was the Thrawn trilogy. That's pretty much it when it comes to trying to adapt a previously existing story into comic form. I think that's just because of the marketability of it all. And I would be afraid that if they did that, they still wouldn't be clear. Or they'd be clear only in the letters page, but then when it comes to the trade paperback edition, it's not made clear, and it just gets people confused all over again. I would fear them doing that because I'm not sure that right now, because of the lack of clarity on stuff like Fantasy Flight Games and stuff or the Old Republic video game, I'm not sure I trust the story group yet. I trust them to try to make things fit together. I think there are good people on there to do that, like Pablo Hidalgo and Leland Chi. I do not trust them yet when it comes to making it clear to the fans, because so far there are too many examples where they have not yet. Wow, that is well put. Because I, I was like... I'm like, wow, Nathan's saying he doesn't trust the story group. This is going to go well. But that, yeah, 
way to tiptoe that landmine. <laughs> I know it's just it, tr- it's it's the old Ronald Reagan thing, right? Trust but verify. You know, I trust they're trying to keep things put together, but I would like to verify what stuff it is that they are saying is meant to fit together and whether it's actually fitting together. It's kind of hard to look at a a game book from Fantasy Flight Games, see stuff in it from Legends versus stuff that's from Story Group Canon, trying to figure out where it sits and to verify whether they're doing a good job keeping it all together if we don't know if it's supposed to fit or not. Does this count as Story Group Canon? Does it count as Legends? Give us some clarity. That's going to become the new... The new call. I mean, we've pretty much given up on clarity when it comes to Clone Wars versus the <laughs> stuff published before. Now it's going to be the, hey dudes, how about the games? You know, uh, a Tiny Death Star. Is that canon? No. Alright, that one. That one I'm being facetious on. Another one comes in here from Michael Hernandez, who says, Dear Mark and Nathan, I got into the EU about three years ago, starting with Truce Bakura and going in chronological order through the New Republic novels. I recently finished the New Jedi Order and am currently reading the Swarm War. Whew. I'm sorry. That's me saying I'm sorry because, God, the Darkness trilogy was horrible. I've also read a good chunk of the Dark Horse material from all eras. I did not find it hard or intimidating to get into the EU as I felt that the vast amount of material available was a good thing and would keep me interested for a very long time. Unfortunately, George Lucas sold Star Wars to Disney, and my worst fear was realized when they set aside the EU as a separate continuity. My early dismay and anger has subsided, and now my biggest regret is that no more new EU material will be coming out. I really wish the Dark Horse Legacy series would keep going, as that is my favorite. I'm too invested in the EU to give it up and just follow the Disney canon, and so I will continue to read the Legacy novels, Fate of the Jedi, and then I plan to go back in time to the start of the EU with Lost Tribe of the Sith, and continue on forward from there. I also plan on following the new Star Wars continuity, though somewhat half-heartedly for now. Finding your podcast has been the greatest thing since getting into the EU, as it provides an outlet for my love of the EU. It is more important than ever that your podcast is available for the fans of the EU to keep their fandom alive. I appreciate all of your time and effort, and look forward to listening as you cover more EU material in the future. Thanks again, Michael Hernandez. Oh, I actually, I have to uh, second Nathan's uh, for you on Dark Nest. I mean, as as much as I had such great hopes, so much of my EU hope died with that series. Like, everything that was going on with Jason Solo, uh, that, that, that just beat me in the head. I mean, he was going to be this great rogue Jedi and all this other stuff, and I don't want to spoil it for you, so I will stop right there. But yeah, for me, like, that one was uh, a really weird weird one so good luck with that uh the no more eu material i i'm right there with you 100 percent. although i do got to point out though that even though we got the announcement with all that was going on we had the imperial handbook come out after the fact and it turns out it actually was legends which was eu material and then there was also the tor mmo it's still ongoing so we get stories like revan's story uh that just came out and all that which you know i i want to point to you know if you haven't been following our facebook page when I finally watched the video on that. I kind of went a little ape Sith. Like I thought that was pretty cool. What was going on with Revan? I know Nathan wasn't quite as keen on it as I, but uh, man, that, that was really exciting. And the fact that that came out after the legends announcement, I thought that was kind of cool that we're still getting stuff that adds to it. Even if it is in game form, because I do remember there were a lot of games out there that I had to have because of that story. Oh yeah. The games were always something where I found, you know, it's, it's intriguing because we can pick it up and see the new story. And anytime there was a game that wasn't 
part of the overall continuity, I kind of shrugged and didn't really care that much. Bombad Racing, for instance. Mm. So, I don't know. That's the one thing I really haven't kept up with as part of my collection, because when it comes to Star Wars games, if I can't play them anymore, usually I don't have them anymore. I haven't done, like, with the videos. I mean, I don't have a Laserdisc player, but I got Star Wars Laserdisc. I don't have a beta player. I've got a Star Wars beta tape. What am I supposed to do with that? Um, I, I do appreciate the kind words. I mean, we're we're trying to keep the fandom alive in the sense that, you know, Legends is something that surely we will always continue to talk about. We are going to go into story group canon stuff, too. We are going to wind up probably finding ourselves more and more into that side of things because of how that's where most of the stuff is coming out now, as opposed to being things like Tor, like maybe Fantasy Fight Games being part of Legends continuity and really not quite knowing where that's going. But I think for us, Legends is always going to be a context for us. Anytime we are having discussions about something new, like when we have our discussion about the Tarkin novel, it's going to be couched in how is this compared to how Legends dealt with this sort of thing. Um, I made a joke recently on the Beyond the Films Facebook page. Um, what was the first thing that Luke used the Force to move telekinetically? Well, you could have knocked me down with one because we will find kind of a very mundane thing that Luke manages to use the Force on in Heir to the Jedi that turns out to be the first thing he moves telekinetically because it's him trying to move something for the first time when he manages to move it. Um, a novel like that that has these firsts for the new continuity is invariably going to wind up causing us to step back and say, hey, how does this compare to what came before? Is this handled in a better way? Is the story group doing its job well? Was it, I mean, we could say after, you know, a year or two years, was the change to story group canon a worthwhile one? Has it been beneficial for the saga in keeping things cohesive and things like that? I don't think we're ever really going to get away from the Legends continuity stuff here on the show, but I do expect that as time goes on, it'll form more and more of a context of our way of looking at things, more so than being the topics that we necessarily cover each week. Could be wrong, though. Speaking of things that are wrong or going wrong, one of the things we recently reviewed was The Star Wars from Dark Horse, which of course was based on that rough draft version of A New Hope by George Lucas. An interesting comment comes in from James Fleming on the issue of The Star Wars. He says, Your most recent episode reminded me so much of E.E. E. Smith's 1948 novel Triplanetary, which was very influential conceptually on Lucas's early draft. It's hard sci-fi, but a lot of its defining characteristics are echoed in The Star Wars. Have you read it? If you enjoy antecedents, you'd probably like it. The biggest problem is that structurally, it sometimes feels like it has a then-this-happened, then-that-happened, then-this-happened style. Jim Fleming Huh, haven't actually heard of that one before, but it does sound interesting. I've heard of it, haven't read it, though I may check it out at some point. Um, though I think that just nailed one of the bigger issues with the Star Wars and with Lucas's early drafts in general, before he really started going into the mythological archetypes stuff, which was not his original plan. His original plan was much more Flash Gordon-esque than his, you know, I always plan to do some kind of new modern myth. No, there's no always about it, George. Sorry. Um, it, that definitely is the way that it felt like. It's the, this happened, then this happened, then that happened where it doesn't really feel like there's anything to draw you into the story so much as it's all these different plot points that need to happen. So let's just go from one to the next, to the next, 
to the next. It doesn't feel like the fun ride. It's not a roller coaster taking you to the ups and downs. It's walking up some steps to get to the top and some steps to get back to the bottom and up and down. I don't know about you. Walking up and down a bunch of flights of steps to go really, really high and really, really low, it somehow lacks the punch of a roller coaster taking me to the same elevations. That's very much what you got here. A then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. That's what the Star Wars was. Um, I kind of am afraid of reading something that feels like that, but if it is something that's an antecedent for the series, I think probably it deserves a look. Verily, they walked into the escape pod and jettisoned from the ship. Hey, don't use the verily thing, because, you know, Shakespeare's Star Wars is actually pretty cool. The verily a new hope and the Empire striketh back and the Jedi doth return and everything. Although, we did find out that coming up later this year, they are going to be doing that for the prequels. And a Shakespearean version of The Phantom Menace sounds awful. But then again, I, any type of retelling of the Phantom Menace, a lot of times, sounds awful. I can see it now. Verily, I hate sand. <laughs> Why did she kiss me? Was she... Nah. Doth you not live, Mom? Doth you not live? I'm wondering how you could use Shakespearean prose. You could probably actually use Shakespearean prose in a very effective manner, I suppose. Very Romeo and Juliet-esque. To capture, you know, you're talking about the I hate sand scene, to capture his face and just the look of what the F <laughs> on his face when it's like, she kisses him. I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry, m'lady. And he's like, what? <laughs> I don't know. But then again, many of Shakespeare's plays wind up with the, the key points basically being, if you do something wrong, you're going to die. And women, man. He was a very <laughs> chauvinistic kind of writer. But... I guess it was the, you know, 1500s, 1600s. Our next one comes in from Lenny Klein, who says, Hey, this is probably more of a what-if type question, but when I heard you and Mark mention the small sales of A New Dawn and Full of Sith mention the underperformance of Rebels now that it's on Disney XD, I got curious. So, first off, if these two things continue to fail, what do we expect? But what about the EU? Will that be canned, too? Will the rights to the books be sold to the highest bidder? And if it is canned, unlikely but still, what would happen? A call from enthusiasts for fan fiction? Yeah, I know it's unlikely, but hearing those little tidbits of how Star Wars is doing got me curious. Thanks, Lenny. The call for fan fiction. You know, honestly, in so many ways, I have been leaning that direction. Like, you know, if Legends never gets anything beyond the video game, the Old Republic going for it. Or if they officially say, oh, we're uh, going to take that and make it canon too. Ha ha, legends, we're going to hose you once more. Uh, you know, maybe then, but I, I don't know. I Fanfic seems to be the only way you're going to be able to get a story like, you know, what's going on with Jagged Fell. When did he become emperor? You know, when did the Imperial Knights start? Was it actually Jaina Solo that founded them? You know, I mean, or did Koran Horn just say, you know what? I'm done with the Alliance and I'm going over to Imperial Space and I'm going to found my own academy. <laughs> We're going to be called Imp Knights. You know, I mean, like, I don't know. It, it, there are so many people out there that do really decent fan fiction that to a large degree, I could see this being a safe haven. Uh, you know, I mean, you could go out there and, and find some really good people that know how to uh, keep the stories in a John Jackson Miller way uh, in a. John Ostrander kind of way. 
some some of those stories that just really tie together and stuff and and fit their fan fiction right into that. Uh, Jedi Rita, you know, me and Riley and even Nathan, you know, Nathan was uh, syndrolic in that. Uh, you know, I was the narrator. Uh, Riley did a bunch of different voices and stuff and did most of the editing, but that was done by Jedi Rita. Uh, it, it was uh, a great little one. It was called Rest Thou Softly. It was set during Revenge of the Sith, but if you knew things from Dark Nest, you knew what R2 had seen through the hollow feeds and stuff, and you were getting the scene from Dark Nest as it was basically happening with all the little fanfic flair that goes along with it. So it was kind of really cool in that regard, how, you know, it tied things together that had nothing to do with each other. So I really got a kick out of that. Um, and with the aspect of, you know, what if it fails, uh, you know, rebels and that kind of stuff, I have to look at it in a different light because it really comes down to fails from whose perspective, because I think the show rebels is a hit. I think like firefly, you know, firefly was a hit. But the executives put it out of order in such a whack way that the show died. No one was able to track it and follow it. And so it was perceived, you know, before its time. Like, I didn't even know it was on TV because of how it came and went, you know. I mean, so that kind of a fail I could see being the case where to the, you know, the people that crunch numbers, you know, well, this isn't the kind of numbers we need to pull it from this time slot. We need to move it over here. We need to move it over there. You know, those people, I could see them seeing it as a fail and those people could screw it up. I could see that being the case. But I don't see Rebels as a failure across the board with the fans' reception of it. Uh, you know, I, 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 I see contingents of fans that are still really upset about what happened and feeling like things are being tossed away. And for a show that is being very uh, continuity and offensive to legends, being really indignant about that. You know, watch this show is stomping on legends. Why we, I mean, so, so I could see that kind of negativity towards it and stuff, but overall I'm seeing a lot of good reviews and, and a lot of good uh, reception for rebels as a story. So, you know, it comes down to how is that perceived failure going to affect? And I, I think it's going to come from the executives and the people that are crunching numbers. And I, I'm just not one of those fans of those type of numbers because I like shows like Firefly, shows that, that were canceled that I'm like, that was a great show. Why in the hell would you cancel that? You know, I don't know. I think there's a part of me that says that Disney has way too much monetarily invested in Star Wars to let it die. That they would keep producing novels comics, whatever, as long as they could, as long as there was at least enough of an, an audience out there that they could make a profit off of. I mean, there's a difference between something that is phenomenally successful making a lot of profit versus something that's not. Now, we can go into the economic thing, marginal cost versus marginal revenue and all that, and how that plays out in terms of the cost of something versus uh, the cost to make it and everything, but short version, I guess, is as long as they're able to make at least some profit off of it, some cash coming in that is able to justify producing it and the cost going into it, they'll keep doing it. Uh, now, they might change their approach to it. You know, if the adult novels aren't doing so well, maybe it's more kid stuff. If certain comic lines aren't doing so well, dump those and go into something new. Uh, I don't imagine that they would get to a point where they would say, this isn't working, we're going to dump it and start going back into Legends. People want that, not this. And I would argue that at least to an extent, they have sort of an automatic out that keeps repeating itself. Because right now, they can say, well, A New Dawn didn't sell as well as we would have hoped. Or Rebels isn't getting the audience we would have hoped. But then comes next year in The Force Awakens. 
huge money maker, and of course tons and tons of tie-in materials that are going to make money simply because they're tie-in materials to the movie. People who like the movie will pick up certain books or comics or video games or whatever, and then spin-off movies will come out, and you'll have episode 8, episode 9. It's sort of one of those things where until the movies stop being made, they have an automatic refresh over and over again on the fandom, or at least on the marketability of that particular item. You know, so in this case, you know, it's kind of like, I'd say the same thing with Marvel. I know a lot of people who hadn't read Marvel comics in years, but when the new movies, the MCU started going and you wound up with stuff like Iron Man, Guardians of the Galaxy, stuff they wouldn't have picked up otherwise probably, now they're actually going through and checking them out. There was a revitalization to a degree of X-Men comics when the first X-Men film came out. Um, they've got that going for them where they may be able to make up some of their losses or lack of profit on things that are profitable but not as profitable as they would like uh, by simply the virtue of the new people coming in and buying stuff just over the craze when something new comes out. Uh, under those circumstances, I can't see them necessarily dropping everything. If they were to, if for some reason Sky starts falling, let's say we find out that most of the people behind Star Wars at different points in time, Lucas, J.J. Uh, Abrams, uh, Kathleen Kennedy, turns out they were all involved in human trafficking and love little boys. Something like that. Okay, um, Little kidnapped boys and girls, let's say. Kidnapped from Gotham, if you've seen the first couple episodes of that. Um, if we find out something horrible that causes people to completely shun the brand, that Star Wars as a name, becomes evil somehow to people, and they just dump it the way that we've seen sometimes people shun sports teams for a while, uh, or certain athletes, and so forth. If something like that were to happen, and we basically were to have them say, we're dropping Star Wars because it's like holding on to something radioactive, we don't want it anymore, um, and there was no Star Wars stuff being produced I would still argue that someday someone would pick it up because as that starts to fade away, it would still be a marketable property to an extent, um, although not nearly as much as it would have been before. Um, even then, though, even in a time period where it wouldn't exist, I, I don't know what you mean by call for fan fiction. Um, there's always fan fiction anytime the saga is out there, um, good, bad, and Otherwise, otherwise being stuff like Slash, where it's, you know, sexually based type stuff. Um, but even then, I mean, I, that doesn't, to me, that doesn't factor into it. You know, like, would there be an upsurge of fan fiction, a downsurge in fan fiction? I've done some of fan fiction myself. I've done, you know, audio drama stuff like Second Strike and the anthology series and Always in Motion, where you can choose your own adventure and everything. But it is what it is. It's fan fiction. It's never going to be the real thing. It's never been thought of as the real thing. It's never really going to replace the real thing. So even if people were to jump in and try to fill the gap with fan fiction, if there was no new Star Wars publications out there, I would probably be one of many, many fans for whom reading new Star Wars stories would simply end. Because I got to tell you, I don't read fan fiction. I may make it from time to time. I can't remember the last time I've read fan fiction. It's probably been at least 10, 15 years 
since that stuff was included on the timeline gold as a nod to other fans. And even then, a lot of times, it wasn't reading it, it was skimming the stuff. Because it's fan fiction. And I'm sure I just pissed off a lot of people. <laughs> oh my god, I don't know. Yeah, somewhere out there. To that. I would have listened to his show, but he doesn't like the fact that I'm doing the story where Padme falls in love with Jar Jar in that little gap between scenes in Phantom Menace, and it becomes more of a tragedy. <laughs> Our next one comes in from Matt DeRochers. Matt, I know we've met. I know I've pronounced your name correctly before. For some reason, it's sounding wrong inside my head, so correct me if I just said that wrong. Uh, but Matt says, Nathan slash Mark. Not Nathan and Mark. Nathan slash Mark, which, you know, kind of two minds, I guess. You know, I didn't realize how long-winded my email was until I had to listen to Nathan read it. Well, read with all my intended inflections in the right place, though. I guess I didn't get into my collection space in an email, as it was already more than long enough, and I didn't really think the show was meant to discuss figure collections or collecting space, something that we reference back to when reading his email. But I'm actually taking over the garage, and it's still not nearly enough space. When we were looking for a house almost 10 years ago, I really wanted a garage. For the car. We got a three-bedroom house, and it was just my wife and I. We had the master as our bedroom, naturally, and I got the larger of the two other bedrooms for my collection, and she got the other for her space. Three years later, along came our son, Lucas. My wife's room became the nursery. About the same time, she began working from home. She started with a desk in our bedroom. That got really old really fast, so I packed everything up and converted my collection room into her home office. I had run out of space and the piles of stuff everywhere were driving my OCD insane. Well, we had so much junk in the garage that we'd never gotten a car in it as much as I'd wanted a garage. Haha. <laughs> I decided I needed to convert it into a room. It took me four years to go from a massively junked up garage to a nice livable space. I had to insulate the ceiling and walls, lay flooring in the attic to create storage space, get a shed in the backyard for storage for lawn equipment and such. I built a closet in the garage for more storage, removed the garage door and installed a triple French door in its place, ran ductwork, fixed drywall, painted, textured ceiling, crown molding, etc., etc. The only thing I didn't do myself was put the carpeting in. I'm sure if I could have afforded it, I could have paid someone to do all this in two weeks or less. But it took me four years, and it's a nice personal achievement. My walls are light gray, a shade called Metropolis from Lowe's, and the carpet is black with hints of gray flecks like a star field. I was trying to go with colors that felt Star Warsy. I was quite scared that it would be hard to keep the carpet clean, but as it is a very low traffic area, it hasn't been bad at all. We only enter in socked or bare feet, and our blonde shedding dog is not allowed ever. For the past two years, I've been enjoying about 300 square feet, including the closet, of collection space. I still don't have nearly enough space. An 8 foot by 8 foot space nicely holds all of my books, omnis, magazines, etc., as well as my desk. As far as the Kenner and Hasbro collection, I might have half of my vehicles and playsets on display. I might have 20% of my figures on display. Maybe. I'm a loose figure collector. I have almost every figure ever made, somewhere in the neighborhood of 2,500. I am 100% complete on figures from 1978 through 2010, minus the infamous rocket-firing Fett, but he was never really released, so he doesn't even count in my book. From 1995 to 2005, I had two of everything that came out, one in a package and one loose. Then I went to Star Wars Celebration 5, where I saw a fan film entitled Figure Club. 
It was about how silly it was to collect mint in package. They're toys, meant to be played with. It was like a light went off in my head. I loved my loose stuff, and packaged stuff was doing nothing for me. Over the course of about a year, it all went on eBay to further fund my loose collection. By the time 2011 rolled around, the number of new figures coming out was dwindling, and the figures that I consider new was growing smaller still. I had been a completionist up to that point and would buy any figure that was even a slight repaint. That stopped. Now, unless a figure is significantly new and better than a previous version, I'm not interested. Many new figures coming out currently have only five points of articulation. I refuse to buy these unless it's a figure that has never been made before and is unlikely to ever have a better version. The only example I can think of is the Maul that came with an Obi-Wan in the Missions series. That Maul is in the outfit from the story arc where he fights pre Vizsla. The figure looks okay, but his articulation stinks. I bought him because I'm quite certain we'll never get a better one. The Obi-Wan is also five points of articulation, but is in his basic Revenge of the Sith outfit. I have much better versions of him and have zero use for that figure. I gave him to my son. I don't even want it for my collection as I consider it garbage. Honestly, my son at six years old doesn't care for it either. Being that he's my son, he knows all about articulation and knows a good or bad figure when he sees it. So, over the past four years, I've been a little bit more careful in what I purchase. I'm not really sure that I'm going to collect Rebels figures. I have every single The Clone Wars figure, but many of those, especially the early ones, had great articulation. The Rebels figures are going to all be five points of articulation. I'm not in a hurry for that. I may buy battle packs down the line, or maybe pick up figures on sale or clearance at some point. But I won't be at any midnight madness on a figure premiere night as I was for the Clone Wars in summer of 2008, when I bought all that were available in one fell swoop. Those days are over. Even with a garage at my disposal, space is very limited. The real question is, what will I do when Episode 7 and beyond come out? Maybe we'll be able to afford a bigger house at some point. What I really want is a basement that's the size of the entire house's footprint. For now, that's just a dream. Okay, I'm long-winded again. You don't need to save this one for the next feedback episode. But we did, because it dovetails nicely into something we're going to talk about later in the year. If you read another long one like this, I might feel like I'm trying to take over the show. You're not, but we always like these that are in detail. I just wanted to follow up on the topic of collection space. Mark. Enjoy that large space that you're moving into. Hopefully you don't feel like you've outgrown it within a month, as I did with the garage. Thanks, guys. Matt. <laughs> well, I already feel like I uh, need to be branching out. I, I love it. I am definitely loving it. Uh, it. Like I said at the beginning of last episode, uh, it's over half my house. And I took a quarter of that. Like, the section that is actually my studio... I'm pretty sure is my son's room, a part of the hallway and the bathroom. Um, and then I've still got, you know, my daughter's room on the other side. Oh, it's just insanely big. But yeah, you blew my mind on so many levels, man. I mean, okay. The midnight thing. Okay. I did, a, I did a 6 a.m. one one time because I worked at, uh, or no, it was 8 a.m. It was Target was opening and, and they had the exclusive Darth Vader episode three. Uh, and it was weird because it was never this character at all in the movie, but it was Vader in the armor with Mustafar lava glow to him. And you had a special invite that they sent out in this like embossed color with, uh, Obi-Wan and Anakin fighting each other. I have it in one of my, uh, fan club folders. Oh, it is glorious. Oh, I got to pull that out actually. And yeah, I mean, I remember doing that, uh, the, the loose figures. Dude, you've blown my mind with your email, okay? Because, like, 
I've got all these boxes around me. I've got all these shelves with all these figures that I've had out at various times in all the different spaces I've had. They're all out. Well, when I first met my wife, I had a bedroom that was dedicated just to my star. It was my Star Wars room. And all of the episode two figures I had that I still have. I have that whole series and I had that whole room. All the walls were literally covered with those action figures. I had the stacks of the figures, the the big boxes of the other things and stuff like that were everywhere. It was insane. And I've got them all still in boxes. And I'm like, I, I went through the same phase like you did. I was buying two of everything so I could open some. And then if it was one that was really cool, I told my wife was, I need to get two of these in package so I can sell one on eBay to fuel my other stuff. And I never, I never sold any of them on eBay, but I sold her on that dream. Oh my golly, did I sell her on that dream? So I've got all these boxes of, of unopens along with these open ones. Cause then it became, well, well, Gavin's were the ones I was buying them for Gavin and Gavin's would get opened and then. And then Gavin would get pissed off with me because his punishment every time he wouldn't do a chore, I would I would ground him from his toys and they would come down here onto a shelf and be put on display as well. Ha ha, that's your punishment. See, it's on display. If you want it back, I can clean your room. Oh, you never clean your room. I guess I get a hold on to this forever. And he'll come down here and point that out. You know, that's mine. That's mine. That's mine. And I admit it. I'm like, yeah, it is. You get that room clean yet? <laughs> uh, but but that's where my addiction got. It got to that point where I was like, I, I, I could justify buying them for my son. My wife will let me do that. And then this Christmas came and we were really, really broke because of moving into this house. Uh, you know, we're still doing that uh, house broke as my wife keeps calling it. You know, we're still catching up on all the utilities that we restarted because, you know, we'd been living with my parents and, and all the bills that we shared were with them. And then when we moved in with roommates. We shared stuff with them. So it was never really our name on anything. So we had to pay for all that stuff. So Christmas was really tight this year. And at one point I was telling my wife, I'm like, you know, I'm unpacking all these boxes and I've got all these things that I haven't seen in, in over a decade that are still in the boxes. And a lot of them, you know, as, despite my best efforts, some of them, the, the, the packaging is starting to bend and warp and it's all mangled and stuff. And I'm like, you know, I, I, what do I do with these? That was the big question, you know, and I told her, I'm like, they're at our disposal. If we ever need to tap into these as, as Christmas gifts, you know, I've got female characters for the girls and Gavin just loves everything. So it doesn't really matter what I toss his way. He's going to love it. And my wife doesn't want me to sacrifice my collection, but listening to your feedback, I'm just like, Holy crap. What am I, what am I doing? I mean, I, I, I should really think about opening them all because I do get a kick out of them, which, which gets more into what you're, you're going on about, about the points of articulation. I was going on to Bethany and Riley about this on the Star Wars report. I mean, I, I Riley had mentioned it being a uh, blooper reel or, or bonus content because I was going on. I, for 45 minutes of pre-show, I took up their time just going on about points of articulation because they thought I was, I was being crazy and splitting hairs over this. But I tell you, this is such a hair to split. I go at it with a samurai sword. I mean, this is one that like I'm really into. I, for Christmas, I managed to get because my wife was like, well, what, what do you want this year? And I totally forgot saying the Imperial Handbook because I thought it was like a hundred and something bucks. So I was like, uh, I want that Venom and I want the Scarlet Spider. So she got me these two Marvel Unlimited figures and they are glorious. The points of articulation on them are, are off the chain. But these figures, like I, I have the Marvel ones and they're out in the hall on my way down into my studio. That's where my wife wanted me to put them. She, she really liked walking in and seeing them because it reminded her of our bedrooms before. Now all my geek stuff's down here. So, you know, I added to that and I, I love those figures because I'm able to really articulate them. I do the same with my other ones down below. But one of the things that really as a long-term collector I discovered was as I was opening a lot of them, I would get very depressed 
at the lack of articulation. And then I got to the point where I wanted to keep a mint in their package because the, the, the excitement, the, the new feeling was there. You know, I mean, my, my comic two packs, I constantly want to open them up, especially to have, you know, the one of Nathan's with the Vong and to play with that. But then I'm like, looking at it, there, there looks to be very little movement to a lot of it. It looks like, you know, I can get them in a lot of classic poses, but nothing really deep. I like crouch poses and stuff like that. And characters that can do that, like the, the, the Clone Wars ARF troopers with the way their hips move and stuff. Holy cow, the things you can do with that character. You know, the, the poses, the, you can have them scrambling up sides of things and, and, oh, it's just off the chain. So I'm a big fan of things like that too. So now I'm like, just based off of what you're saying, I'm like, oh gosh, I got to look at these figures and now I've got to do homework because I'm like, the ones that have articulation, I got to get them out. I got to get playing with them. I mean, they're, they're just, they're trapped. I'm not going to sell them. I'm not really doing anything. I've got this idea of, you know, so, sooner or later, they're going to be given to my son as heirlooms. And then I'm like, well, what if my daughters really like it? You know, and then I'm like, what do I do? Do I divide it all up? And how's that going to work? And I got a lot of thinking to do, man. Your email has got that ball rolling. Yeah, that's definitely much more Mark's Ballywick than mine when it comes to creating spaces to actually use for the collection. In my case, with most of my collection essentially being books and comics and now the video collection, you know, VHS tapes, Betamax tapes, DVDs, all that kind of stuff. Right now, thankfully, much of my collection still fits on bookshelves. But even then, we're really running out of space. My back room... Uh, I mentioned in a, a previous, uh, actually, Mark, did I mention that in a previous episode when we were talking about space? Was it last episode so. in the feedback stuff? Um, now that I'm working from home, there's this question of what exactly are we going to do in our back room? Yeah, it was because when we were talking about the water yep. damage and everything. Yep. Um, I've got a bunch of comic boxes in there, and I've got most of my long boxes that are sitting in there are Star Wars comics, but they need to be either stacked or shifted off to the side in some other way to make more space in that room. In my dining room, which is where I usually record from the Star Wars home video library and such, if you see those, um, you can tell usually that in the background there's the bookshelves of Star Wars books. Well, that entire wall is taken up with those. It's four book towers plus two bookshelves that are like a little bit more than twice as wide as the book towers are, which is what you're seeing behind me when I'm recording. It's one of those bookshelves. There's two of those, and then that's it. That's all the space that there is. The other wall, running alongside it, running a perpendicular to it, is DVD shelves, DVD and Blu-ray shelves. And there's really just not a lot of space to put anything else in there. The opposite wall is actually the wall for that hallway. The other side is going to be the bar, or whatever you want to call it, uh, that's part of the kitchen. So... We're kind of getting to the point where I'm starting to wonder, am I going to need to start taking some of my legend stuff and maybe start putting it into, you know, Rubbermaid containers or something and just stacking it up? Or how am I going to make space for all this stuff as it's coming out? As it stands, I'm starting to think that the, the few video games that are sitting over there and whatnot are going to have to go. And the video collection may need to be displayed in some other way than sitting on one of those bookshelves. The space just isn't there for it. Um... I can't imagine that if it were something that is much harder to display or much harder to store like toys, like the big play sets and whatnot, or for God's sake, the people who collect the Legos and like to keep them on display completely put together. I can't okay. imagine having the physical space to do that. So, I mean, I think it's something any fan's going to deal with. And I wanted to make sure that that uh, email was included because that goes into something we're going to talk about in a coming episode when we start talking about formats 
um, it was suggested, Jameson Glass, one of our listeners and one of the timeline readers, suggested to take a look not necessarily at the better version of different stories, but the pros and cons and the business aspects that go into things like an omnibus versus a trade paperback versus a single issue versus digital. And a big part of that is how do you deal with that as a physical collection, even if it's a collection that's digital on a physical device that you then keep. And I thought this would be, this is a nice way to kind of look into the mind of someone who's in the position where space is at a premium, just as it tends to be for Mark. This is true. I mean, and I, I hadn't even touched Legos. I, we've given my son, we have his sheds, two of them in the back property. Uh, and one of them my daughter uses as her dance room. And the other one is my son's Lego room. And we built all the extra shelves that I brought that I did not need for the garage right now because I have no space for them. They all went out there and I put my entire Star Wars Legos went out there and all of his Legos go out there. So he has a whole Star Wars slash regular Lego room. That's his Lego room that he knows, you know, they're mine and then they're his. As long as he's playing with mine when he's done, he needs to put them back the way they were. So he's been really good about it. He's been very respectful and it's, it's really cool because, you know, he's got this really cool space. And at the same time, I can go out there and play with my Legos whenever I want. And if you can believe it, folks, we still have a handful of feedback emails to get to. So I guess when we said we're splitting it in two, we were lying. Or no, we were pulling a Lucas. We thought yeah. it was going to be two. We were splitting it into three. three. <laughs> but we always meant for it to be two. In our case, we actually did always meant yeah. for it to be two. Yeah. You uh, just misunderstood. We we didn't say in two as in I-N-T-W-O. We meant I-N-T-O and dot dot because we were going to finish saying into two episodes, into three episodes, into five episodes. Who knows? Yeah, something like that. So um, I guess that rounds out this episode. Um, but we do have more coming for those who are curious if you're uh, wondering whether yours is coming up. Uh, Greg Evans, Andrew Gilbertson, Kenny Crayley, you all have uh, emails that will show up in that upcoming episode. And, of course, when we start talking about things like, well, where can the stories, the loose ends of the stories of Legends go from here? What are some of the ones that would be nice to see somehow continue or wrapped up? Uh, we do have some emails specifically about that that isn't. Uh, it's not a topic we wanted to include inside these feedback emails because they're going to show up as part of those episodes when we start discussing those. So true. Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division, at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Zoom, Stitcher, and on iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and our Facebook pages at SW Beyond Films, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us, our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any Star Wars and or EU Legends questions, or you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can always email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. 
Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our sponsors, Audible. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash Star Wars Report, you get a free trial run of audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars Expanded Universe or any other genre without risk of being stuck with an audiobook you flat out hate because Audible members can exchange any audiobook within 12 months with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying thanks for listening and may the force be with you. And don't quote us the odds that we'll actually wrap this up in a third episode. Or the odds that Chopper will accept the invite that Whistler gave him to come over and play. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to 100 and I am not saying that right. That's right, Whistler. That's wrong, Mark. That's right. Yeah, good. <laughs> good. This episode, we turn once again to you Beyonders. This week, as last week, your episode is feedback. Oh, God. This is going to be a longer episode than I... It's all right. I screwed up plenty last time. <laughs> What's the name of the guy that sent us the audio? Uh, this is Alexander K. from Germany. Alexander K. 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 Oh, my mouth hurts. My mouth hurts. My freaking broken tooth. I was only about... Ah. Even though... Ah. How many stories include that? I keep my tongue, he's hitting that broken tooth and it's freaking me out. Speaking of comics, one thing I'd love to see Marvel do, that mother I do not trust them. Sorry, I was stepping on the microphone wire, so it was probably scraping. And to verify whether they're doing a good job of keeping. Uh, and to verify whether they're. If you enjoy antecedents, you'd probably. Uh, damn, now I'm burping all the time. Man, that's not the only one. I could fill another one. Oh no! All right. Episodes are also all <laughs> so far. Okay. Uh, God, my jaw hurts. Our next one comes in from Lenny Klein. As my cat sneezes. If these two things continue to stop it, no damn. I'm 100% complete on figures from 1978 to 19... Ah. 